Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I am your host Amit Ranjan, research fellow at the Institute of South Asian Studies, National University of Singapore. Today we are going to have Dr. Ajim Jahir, who is a research fellow at the School of Social Sciences, the University of Western Australia, Perth. Ajim will discuss with us. religious extremism in the maldives welcome aji thank you thank you amit for having uh, me my first question is there is a growing extremism in the maldives in the recent times what are some of the factors that has led to this development which are the main radical groups active in the maldives and what are their objectives thank you now uh, that's a very important question uh, there's no doubt that uh, we have seen over the past uh, few years that uh, violent extremism has grown in the Maldives in terms of if you look at the number of people who joined Syria and Iraq uh, the conflicts there and fought with groups like ISIS and and other terrorist groups and if you look at the uh, some of the attacks that have taken place in the country we know that there is a growing violent extremism in the Maldives now if you look at the uh, major factors that have given Uh, rise risen to uh, this this issue in the Maldives. Um, there are a number of factors. I would, in particular, talk about four main key factors that I think are very important to understand how how this phenomenon has uh, spread and increased in the Maldives. Uh, just before before that, I think uh, very important to look at the more sort of macro level changes that have taken place in the Maldives. The Maldives, no doubt, has. transition to a middle income country uh, in the recent past but if you really closely look at the society the real society the maldives has not been able to ensure socio economic well being for most of the population most importantly this includes the youth who have limited higher education and employment opportunities even when employment may be possible the cost of living is really very very high especially in urban areas like the capital maldives Uh, housing is a huge issue uh, in 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 the Maldives. Crime rates have worsened. Substance abuse is a major problem, and a number of youth are attracted to gangs in the country. So it is in this context of larger socio-economic problems in the Maldives that um, uh, the Maldives has also undergone rapid political and religious transformations over the past fifteen or so years. now this context is very very important it's it's in, in this context there's widespread cynicism and disillusionment especially among the youth we know this through surveys that that have been conducted in the maldives now uh, social cohesion in the country is under strain overall uh, what these factors the socio economic ills along with what i mentioned the societal tensions and political polarization do is they increase social exclusions among the you know the key segments of the population Well, the youth in the Maldives. So social ex- exclusion, I would say, is a major uh, key factor behind uh, the rising and violent extremism in the Maldives, and this is very, very important. So to just summarize uh, my point here, I think key four key f- factors. First, often it's segments who have been the losers in terms of robust university education, in terms of employment op- opportunities, and also who come from difficult backgrounds. criminal backgrounds gang backgrounds and who are socially excluded who have become targets for violent extremism so that's number one uh, uh, problem the second one is you know there, there have been a significant strains on social cohesion 
uh, through political polarization in the country. Now this affects social identity and this increases social inc inclusion in, 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 in turn, and uh, which creates a fertile ground for uh, violent extremist ideologies to thrive. So this is the second factor. The third one, uh, it's very also very important is, uh, there, there aren't strong institutional and policy uh, frameworks in place to tackle violent extremism in the Maldives. Now, um, in the recent past, through political polarization, through political turmoil, key institutions have also been entangled in day-to-day -day politics. Uh, as a result of that, a uh, lot of attention has really been on uh, uh, issues like politics uh, through these institutions as well. So um, my point here is there is there hasn't been a strong policy framework in place to tackle uh, violent extremism until very recent times. So this, this is very important and related to that is my last uh, point, which is related to uh, radicalization in prison in the Maldives. We have some evidence to suggest that uh, prisons in the country have been really uh, breeding grounds for radicalization in the country, and which is also related to you know lack of strong institutional uh, structures in the Maldives to tackle this problem. Thanks. Uh, no, yeah, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, uh, Ajun. You have given uh, a context in which uh, the radicalization and extremism is uh, escalating in the Maldives. Uh, but uh, even if uh, you have written uh, in your uh, past articles and in your book also that um, there is also a role of external actors in um, splitting uh, radicalism in the Maldives. Uh, and those actors have uh, helped in a different ways, like supporting, uh, providing, uh, you know, monetary uh, assistance or uh, people from Maldives going abroad, uh, studying there, coming back with radical ideas. Uh, so how you look uh, at the role of external uh, actors uh, in no, the radicalization of Maldives? Yes, uh, this, this is a really important question. I'm, I'm not uh, dismissing uh, the, the role of transnational ideologies, extremist ideologies and transnational groups and even regional groups. It's very, very important uh, in understanding how uh, violent extremist ideologies uh, started to come in and thrive in the Maldivian context. That's a very important factor. Uh, I, I didn't mention that, uh, not because it's not important, it's really, really important. Uh, the Maldivians who are attracted to violent extremists, the Maldivian groups who are, who are attracted to violent extremist groups, they have uh, their roots and linkages to uh, regional countries like especially Pakistan, uh, Maldivians who went there in the 90s and 2000s for studies and other purpose. They have, we know that they have been trained in uh, through terrorist, terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda and Lakshari Taiba in Pakistan. So that's clearly there. Uh, and even in now we know that uh, Maldivian groups who support ISIS in the country, they have, uh, in, they have increased linkages with regional ISIS. Um, for example, ISIS in the province. We know this through, for example, the magazine that they, have pub they are publishing, uh, South Hill Hind magazine. There's a dedicated column for Maldivians uh, to which Maldivians contribute regularly. So we know that there, there, there are regional linkages between these groups, and that's very important. Uh, and we can't dismiss that. And that's really very concerning too. But having said that, uh, there's also some level of um, confusion uh, if, if I may put it that way, 
to distinguish between mainstream, largely nonviolent uh, Salafi Islam, which is also growing phenomenon in the country with violent extremist ideologies in the Maldives. I mean, there are a number of Salafi groups, Salafi NGOs who are, who are registered and who operate within the mainstream society, but who are not anti-system, who are not anti-state, uh, who, who work within the system, who don't uh, generally advocate for violent means to achieve their ends. So we shouldn't confuse that with violent extremist groups. There, 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 there might be some ideological overlap between violent extremist groups and mainstream Salafi groups in the Maldives. But that doesn't mean that Salafi, mainstream Salafi groups actually recruit for uh, violent extremist you know, uh, cause or if they are operationally involved in this cause. There's no evidence to suggest that as far as I know. Uh, but there's not uh, like Maldivians going uh, abroad only. Uh, after 2004 tsunami, uh, there were uh, groups from Pakistan coming to Maldives and uh, talking, um, uh, attracting the youth, saying that you'll get foreign scholarship to go abroad and study. So uh, uh, it was in 2004. Uh, so um, are these groups still active, or uh, does they have uh, do they have links with the Maldivians, uh, you know, NGOs or other groups through which they come recruit or try to elude the uh, you know uh, people. Uh, include uh, engage in criminal activities or gang activities in the Maldives? Uh, there, there were linkages. I mean, uh, regional groups uh, visited the Maldives. Uh, uh, that, that's according to media reports and uh, some um, uh, reports from the police. We know that these groups operated in the country, but I don't, I don't know if they are any longer uh, physically operating in the country, which is not really required for them to influence Maldivian groups, right? Through internet and other media, they can still continue to spread their propaganda and, and try to recruit Maldivians uh, in, in, into their fold. So we, you don't need to physically be present in the country. And as I mentioned, we know that uh, there, there, there are, you know, uh, regional linkages between Maldivian groups Maldivians who support ISIS and Al-Qaeda with uh, regional Al-Qaeda and regional ISIS groups, both in the Indian subcontinent and Afghanistan as well. We know uh, uh, that, uh, uh, for example, um, there is a Maldivian family already uh, arrested in prison in Afghanistan who were believed to have uh, fought with ISIS in Afghanistan. So that's there. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And there were media reports that some Maldivians were also to some extent uh, involved or uh, had communications with the people who were behind the Easter bombing in Sri Lanka. So through this, you know, we know that they have linkages with regional groups. But um, having said that, I'm not sure that regional groups are physically present in the Maldives. I don't have any evidence or any, uh, any reports to suggest that. Uh, recently, Mohammed Nasheed, the country's parliament speaker and leader of the ruling Maldivian Democratic Party was attacked. President Soli not only condemned the attack, but also called the Australian police to investigate this. How you look at this attack and uh, uh, whether it was you know, politically motivated or because uh, uh, President Nasheed's uh, view has been uh, uh, politically attacked also uh, from the opposition parties and uh, even uh, from his own uh, party leaders and workers. So is it liberal view of Mohammed Nasheed or the political opposition that uh, you know that made him to face attack 
militant attack uh, in recent times? Uh, now, this, this is an important question, but uh, the investigation is still ongoing. Um, to date, uh, what, what we know through police uh, press conferences and what they have revealed so far suggests that violent extremist groups uh, in the Maldives, they, they were behind uh, the terrorist attack against President Nasheed. Uh, but we can't rule out, we can't totally rule out that uh, there aren't any you know, politically motivated elements uh, in this attack. And, and that's not unprecedented in the country. There was a terrorist attack against uh, President Yamin, for example, and all evidence suggested that um, this, this wasn't uh, a doing by uh, violent extremist groups in the Maldives. So that's not unprecedented. We shouldn't rule that out. But having said that, uh, violent there has been there has been an uptick in violent extremism in the Maldives. Uh, the, the attacks in the Maldives in 2020. So at, at least there were four completed attacks. Uh, in 2020, in February 2020, there was a stabbing attack against foreign nationals in Hurmale Island in the country, and that there were three arson, suspected arson attacks believed to have been you know, carried out by violent extremist groups. So these attacks come uh, um, uh, in, in this context, but and also um, it's not unprecedented that uh, violent extremist groups might target you know, uh, individuals like President Nasheed. As you might remember, there were at least three targeted killings in the Maldives. All of them uh, had been portrayed as, you know, anti-religious or secularist uh, individuals in the country before they were killed. Uh, I'm talking about Dr. Afrashim Ali, who is comparatively seen as a more moderate figure. And he was portrayed as uh, Ladini or anti-religious figure before he was killed. And then there were two young uh, bloggers. Both of them were portrayed as anti-religious, secularist, or even you know, apostates before they were killed. And um, President Nasheed, he's the most prominent voice against violent extremism in the country. I mean, the most vocal voice uh, against violent extremism in the Maldives. And he had been portrayed as, uh, he has been portrayed as a, an apostate uh, and and his party, Maldivian Democratic Party, has been portrayed as uh, you know a, a party that is trying to bring other religions in the country. As you know, there's no the constitution doesn't provide religious freedom in the country. So people accuse that MDP is trying to introduce other religions and introduce religious freedom in the country. So violent extremism, uh, extremist elements and groups through their you know social media outlets. They target. Uh, they have been targeting uh, President Nasheed and MDP. Not just President Nasheed, but MDP. Uh, they also target all mainstream religious figures. They target, uh, you know, the whole state and, and all, all political parties. But President Nasheed has been specially targeted by this group because he's seen as, you know, the uh, the, the most prominent person trying to introduce other religions in the country. So it wouldn't be surprising if they targeted President Nasheed. And the other point is that he has got one of the highest level of security detail in the country. Now, if you can penetrate his security detail, that sends a very strong message to the rest of the uh, you know, uh, Maldivian population that they can target anyone they can target any you know, organization or any building in the country. So it's a very, very concerning uh, sort of you know, uh, um, development in the country, which we should be very worried about. Um, Nasheed is also considered to be one 
by the political opposition groups that he is too much supportive of uh, india and uh, he was condemned for uh, his uh, support the so called support for india by the opposition and from his uh, own party uh, leaders also uh, and then there is a growing india out campaign led by the opposition parties and uh, two days back there was uh, uh, malaysia what uh, government of india said malaysia's media reports targeting high uh, indian high commission staff so link uh, the growing uh, presence of india then opposition from a group include uh, which includes uh, uh, opposition party and members of the ruling party also and then there is a uh, media reports targeting high commission so can you link all such things together uh, no no definitely uh, there are uh, you know uh, opposition uh, figures and um, figures from uh, media in the maldives and even uh, people from you know the general population who there's a growing anti india sentiment uh, in, in the maldives that there's no doubt about that but also very important that violent extremist groups have also taken up uh, you know um, into this sort of anti indian uh, narratives and um, there have been two issues of southal hind the magazine published by uh, the is hind province there were two issues in which maldivians you know um, talked about the growing indian influence in the maldives the latest issue which was published this last week uh, there was a two two page article against india by violent extremist groups in the maldives so that's that's also you know um, an important uh, you know dimension to what is happening in the country uh, but having said that i uh, we we have to distinguish between what the violent extremist groups are talking about and the the larger you know uh, constituencies who are concerned about um, the growing Indo-Maldives strategic relationships in the country. It's not the same thing, but it's also concerning uh, in the sense that violent extremist groups are also emboldened by you know, uh, uh, these sort of anti-Indian uh, narratives in the country. Uh, after Soli became uh, president of um, Maldives, uh, the, um, the government has taken some strong measures to what they say de-radicalize the society and check the extremists uh, so how effective they have been the government has no doubt taken a number of uh, measures to tackle violent extremism uh, even during president yamin's government uh, they already started to take some measures but this government has increased uh, their uh, their you know measures to tackle violent extremism they have amended for example the anti-terrorism act they have tried to repatriate Maldivians in Syria, and they have established a national reintegration center to bring these people and to you know, carry out a rehabilitation and reintegration. And they have also recently established a comprehensive national action plan on preventing and countering violent extremism. So there's no doubt uh, the government is doing uh, a lot, but the question is, is it doing enough? Uh, to, to, to that question, I, I doubt that uh, they are doing enough uh, in terms of really targeting the real uh, groups that we have to target if we want to prevent, uh, you know, attacks and terrorist, uh, you know, uh, activities in the country. So just to give you an example, one of the key suspects 
uh, who, who is believed to be behind the attack against President Nasheed, through media reports, through interviews with the friends and family, we know that this individual had been with a radical group for five years, uh, a separatist group um, operating, you know, uh, propagating their, this sort of propaganda through, you know, uh, in, in mosques in, in the country. So the question is, how did this happen? So this suggests that the counter, the sort of countering violent extremism that the government has been doing is really missing the target. So they do a lot of uh, work in terms of, you know, uh, Abayana's campaigns in terms of workshops in, in the islands, uh, which really very much focused on uh, ideological aspects of uh, radicalization, but it's really not, you know, targeting the broader issues that make, you know, uh, that create the conducive environment for young people to get attracted to violent extremist ideology. So that's one number one point. So they are missing the real targets. The other one is that there's no real system, no mechanism for families and, you know, friends who might be concerned that their loved ones are getting, you know, drawn into violent extremist ideology. There are no mechanisms in the country for these people to turn to. So in terms of rehabilitation, in terms of counseling, in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, de-radicalization, there, there aren't any mechanisms, any frameworks in, in place to date in the country. Uh, how this rising extremism and uh, the political violence also, you can if you want to add, is going to affect uh, the tourism sector, which is considered to be one, uh, considered to be the spine of Maldivian economy. Uh, I think uh, the tourism sector has so far been very lucky in 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 several ways, especially in 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 the in the fact that uh, mainly the luxury tourism in the country is concentrated on separate islands. So where there aren't you know um, local population, lo local people aren't living in there. Uh, they they only work there. Some people work there, you know, as 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 workers but they aren't living there. So in that, uh, these are very secluded islands. So it gives some, some level of protection to these islands. So, so far, there hasn't been any you know, terrorist attack, major terrorist attack in any of these islands, partly because they are very you know, secluded and it's difficult to carry out attacks. But having said that, uh, this, there's also some level of vulnerability with, with that. As you know, 99% of the Maldives is water, right? It's very hard to patrol water, the seas in the country. So uh, in 2020, there was a suspected terrorist attack, uh, arson attack against a water villa in one of the luxury islands. So it's very hard to patrol and detect these sort of, you know, random attacks that might happen in these islands. So that's, that's also opens to vulnerability, but so far uh, tourism industry has been lucky in that there hasn't been any major uh, terrorist attack uh, that has taken place. But if any attack, any major ter terrorist attack takes place in the Maldives, especially in a tourist island, then uh, that would be very detrimental to tourism industry in the Maldives because it relies exclusively on, on you know, the, peace, the peaceful nature of the Maldives and the beauty of the country. Uh, as you said also, there are uh, Maldivians presence in Afghanistan. There were reports, media reports uh, uh, about uh, links between the Maldivian groups and uh, groups in Southeast Asia. And uh, then uh, there is a presence of Maldivians in uh, Iraq um, and Syria. 
so you know uh, it's look like uh, maldives is becoming a hub of uh, exporting uh, this recruits for um, other groups and uh, how you look at this issue and uh, how it's all linked with the security of the region uh, south asia and uh, parts of asia yeah no yeah i, I mean uh, the maldives uh, uh, has been seen as one of the you know largest provider of per capita in terms of per capita uh, foreign fighters to syria and iraq uh, at least 173 people, according to official figures, travel to Syria and Iraq, which includes women and children. So this is a significant number uh, coming from a small country like the Maldives. So that, that concern exists. And also, not just now, uh, even around 2008, 2009, uh, there were Maldivians who conducted uh, attacks in Pakistan, uh, including suicide attack uh, in, in Pakistan. So that that's that danger or risk exists. The fact that Maldivians could be recruited to join regional groups and, and even more transnational uh, global groups like ISIS, that's, that concern exists. But um, whether there is an organized, you know, a Maldivian group capable of carrying out attacks on their own, that's questionable. Uh, it's more accurate to say that there are cells uh, in the Maldives who might be linked you know, through internet and, and other media, you know, messaging platforms who operate as a network, but who are not necessarily capable of carrying out attacks in the region without, you know, um, without cooperation and linkages with regional groups. I don't think uh, there is such a group in the Maldives at the moment. Uh, my final question is, uh, we have talked about the house, we talked about how state is uh, doing its job to de-radicalize society, um, de-radicalize this uh, Maldives. But uh, how you look at the role of the civil society and what are the measures they are taking to de-radicalize uh, the Maldives? Uh, there hasn't been any program or any activity in terms of de-radicalization in the Maldives by civil society groups. Civil society is uh, generally uh, very weak in this sector, uh, in governance areas and areas like uh, countering violent extremism or preventing violent extremism. Uh, but there are a few civil society organizations who have in recent past tried to get involved in this area and uh, conduct more preventive work rather than, uh, you know, uh, de-radicalization work. Um, there hasn't been any such activity so far in the country. And, but um, civil society could play a big role in, in this area. If there, there are precedents in other areas, for example, um, substance abuse in the country. There, there are some civil society groups who have worked with uh, former people who have uh, you know, come from prison and, and, and other you know, detention centers. And these groups work with uh, former uh, substance addicts, uh, drug addicts. So there are precedents. So uh, it's very important for the government to uh, increase their link links with civil society groups to work with uh, you know uh, people who are already attracted to violent extremism and try to rehab rehabilitate, conduct counseling and 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 other sort of work that civil society groups are well placed to do, uh, especially if provided enough funding. So that's also a very important area. A number of these civil society organizations in the country, they're very small. They don't have sufficient funds to even carry out the work that they are already carrying out. 
but if funded well, uh, what they bring on, on board is that they bring the bottom up, you know, the more community-based kind of uh, work and, uh, and uh, voice to the table. That's very important. And, and there are some Maldivians who are trained in psychosocial work and um, uh, psychiatry, trauma therapy. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that there's a significant number of people. There are a small number of you know, people who are working in this sector. But if they are given enough training or sufficient training in the area of um, terrorism and violent extremism, they could be brought on board and, and help the government's work. Thank you, Ajin, for joining us. Uh, you were listening to South Asia chart. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for the latest happenings. Thanks. Thank you.